Roberta Williams is the queen of adventure games. In her library of game design, she has gifted the world with the world's first graphical adventure game, the world's first color graphical adventure game, and the world's first 3D animated adventure game. One of these is today's topic, King's Quest, which was really originally released. One of these is today's topic, King's Quest, which was originally released for the IBM PC Jr. in May of 1984. And while the other two, the other two are part of Roberta's history and part of today's discussion. So stick around and join us for Roberta Williams' great adventure on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 89th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Today, we are looking back at the original King's Quest, which was released for the IBM PC Jr. in May of 1984. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who is always on a quest to become the king, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what exactly are you trying to be the king of? The king of games, Dave. King of games. We had the King of Kong at one point. Is that related? No. I want to be the best at the Yugi game. The Yugi game. That's great. I met I met a fellow Yu-Gi-Oh fan of yours today. It was it was a Ooh. fun conversation. Also a Pokemon fan. I I, I like felt like I was standing in what very well could be your space. It was it was nice. So also oh, it was yeah. your he's your age. I'm I'm realizing that maybe all that there's a little bit of a generational gap because it was lost on me. But I have friends that are closer to my age that are into that. And I mean, the original Pokemon is more my generation than yours. The original original, you know, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you would have been old enough to be playing them as opposed to me being like not that old if. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think of the first year, yeah, yeah. Um, which is terrible because we just did the episode not that long ago. I know. Go check it out on our website. Um, but at the same time, when I first started playing, I actually only ever got the first generation on the Game Boy. Gotcha. So my first Game Boy was actually a Pikachu edition <laughs> and I got Pokemon Red with it. And then I got blue and yellow from a friend and I never got like crystal or um actually anything up until sapphire emerald and ruby uh which would have been for the game boy advanced so and that you know i didn't get uh, i'm trying to remember it was silver and gold were the two i didn't get i didn't get those until the ds3 release heart gold and soul silver gotcha gotcha so yeah it was good it was a cool dude though cool dude i i recommended him to this to this podcast so if you're listening welcome what you been playing this week, Rob? Well, Dave, this week has saw a bit more Banner Lord, Rocket League as always, 
a little bit of Apex, and back on our RuneScape grind. What about you, Dave? What are you playing? Uh, this week I played some Rocket League, and I spent a little bit of time on Disco Elysium, and that'll be it. I did not have a whole lot of time to play video games this week. So Well, sometimes that's the way it be. That's right. That's right. I I that's it. Did not have a lot of time. I finally gave up on Forza. I didn't give up on Forza, but last week was the first week since it released that I didn't do the weekly challenges to do the seasonal stuff. I just I can't keep that up anymore. I had to give. So I have finally given up the Forza Ghost. I will play for fun. Shame, shame, oh, stop. You gave it up months shame. ago. I never started to that, give it up. That's that is true. completely different. Yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I finally I finally said I, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't make it work last week with everything going on. Uh, everything else is more important. So I do know well, how to prioritize. Exactly. And that's the important thing. But enough about real life, Dave. I think we have a game to talk about today. Oh, boo. I don't want to talk about real life. That's why we do this. Boo on real life. Ugh. So, so about King, that game. About that game, King's Quest. Do you know anything about King's Quest? Uh, Well, I'm guessing that it's something to do with being sent on a quest by a king. Okay. It's Mr. Smart Guy. You ever heard of the King's Quest series before? That would be a negative. So you don't know what it is and you don't know why it's relevant to gaming. Can't say that I do, Dave. This will oh, be a okay. knowledge dump for me. Good. Pull up a chair, kiddo. We're going to uh, get I, you. I mean, I'm already kind of. In oh, love. for God's sakes. OK. All right. Well, have you ever heard of Ken and Roberta Williams? No. How about Sierra Online? That sounds a little more familiar. Oh, okay. Wasn't that like some educational no. something? Oh, oh maybe no. not then. Oh, no. So Roberta Williams is known by many as the queen of adventure games. And there's a really good reason for that. Way back in 1979, her husband, Ken Williams, Ken was a consultant for computer companies. He brought home a teletype machine. A teletype machine was kind of an early way for it was an, it was connected to the internet basically it, that version of the internet at the time so think of just like a terminal machine that could connect to all these we've talked in the past about these games being on like network campus like hub type deal uh, a teletype would kind of be a terminal that would be able to connect to that so 1979 ken williams brings home a teletype machine and while perusing through the catalog of software that was on the host computer it could connect to they found a game that we've talked about for it was one of the earliest text adventures called colossal cave adventure do you recall colossal cave adventure not that well no okay so we've talked about colossal cave adventure i recently i can't recall but i remember the first time we talked about it was when we were talking about cheat codes because it has this uh has an early cheat code in it so uh anyway so ken finds classical cave adventure and says hey roberta come check this out and she was hooked that's i mean she she was hooked she 
The family would later on buy an Apple II, like everyone else at the time, and she would then play through every single text adventure game that she possibly could. In time, though, she kind of really became dissatisfied with the text-only format. You know, games back then, they didn't have graphics of any kind. They were they were literally just reading, you know? You load up the game, and you're standing in a room. In front of you is a door and a window. And then there's an empty, you know, uh, line for code. And you would say, look at the door, look at the window. And they would say, look at the door. Before you is a door. It looks like this. And you would just... You'd play through the game the entire way that they, these were all text only adventures at the time. Roberta thought that she could do better. She came to Ken with an idea for what she felt a video game could be. Now, her first idea drew inspiration from an Agatha Christie novel called And Then There Were None and the board game Clue. And even more spectacular or outlandish at the time Roberta felt that she could use the graphics display on the Apple II to enhance the gaming adventure experience. Now, there were other games that were using graphics. It just wasn't used in this genre. So what she did is she asked Ken for help. You know, Ken was a computer consultant. Programming was part of of what he did. So she needed his technical expertise. Well, she was going to help with the rest of it. The art, the, art, the story, all, all that stuff. And so she began to draw pictures. She had an Apple II and what we call VersaWriter. VersaWriter was a graphics tablet that could be used to hand trace a piece of paper uh, with the intention of inputting that image into a computer. And there really wasn't any way for the, the Apple II to interpret a VersaWriter's like, data at the time. So Ken actually had to write a program that would allow the VersaWriter images to get into the Apple to and then at a reasonable size. So, And so they worked their way through this problem and then other problems, and the end result was what a game called Mystery House. Mystery House is the first adventure game in history to ever have graphics. Now, these were rudimentary graphics. I mean, they were revolutionary at the time, but it was a black and white game with just you know, a, a black and white house and, and people. And it was, it was pretty basic, uh, but they were graphics. It was, it was a step forward in the graphic event. Well, it wasn't graphic adventure at the time. It was just adventure genre. Let's be fair to sell the game, to sell mystery house. They took out an advertisement in micro magazine, you know, Ken's company was called online Systems, So they took it. That's the name they used. And, they mass produced Ziploc bags that had a sheet of instructions that they printed and a single floppy disk on it. And they sold this game through this magazine for $24.95. Now, this was just a hobby to them. This wasn't anything that they really thought of anything. You know, Roberta had been playing all these games and then she wanted to make one and they wanted to see where it went. So they didn't have high expectations. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. But really, they underestimated people's curiosity. More specifically, they underestimated a technological jump in a genre. Anytime anyone does something different like that in a genre, people are going to check it out. And so Mystery House sold right off the bat 10,000 copies. Damn, that's impressive. Through mail order. 
10,000 copies to mail order. Not too long after, Ken would personally begin to distribute copies of the game to local computer stores. And as the game picked up steam, he found himself able to quit the consulting aspect of his job to focus online systems as a game development company. That's kind of what they switched to in time. And so they would follow up Mystery House with a game called The Wizard and the Princess, which improved upon Mystery House by using color graphics. It was the first adventure game to ever have color graphics. So here we are that they're pushing, you know, they set the bar with one and they push the bar with the other. It would go on to sell 60,000 copies, which led to them being able to actually hire other employees for distribution and programming. And it was really with The Wizard and the Princess that Online Systems was actually able to make the switch from consulting to video game development. Now, I should say as a side note, I don't talk much about it, but The Wizard and the Princess is nowadays known as a prequel to the game we're talking about today, King's Quest. It just period. It's considered a prequel. It wasn't back then, but King's Quest has been released in complete collections nowadays, and it's included in that collection as a prequel. Kind of takes place in the same universe, uh, maybe not all the same characters type deal, different timeline, um, but that was kind of their first thing. Now, in 1982, uh, Roberta and Ken's, actually the whole team's ambitions grew, and they released a game called Time Zone. Now, Time Zone was a graphical adventure game. It was shipped on six double-sided floppy disks, so it was a 12-disc game. It contained 1,500 areas along with 39 different scenarios to solve. Needless to say, it was probably one of the largest games of the early 80s. Just the scope of it was unlike anything anyone had ever seen. Unfortunately, it didn't sell very well. It was priced at $99, which if you put it into perspective, that makes it the equivalent of $278 today. Wow. All things aside, collector's kits and, you know, fun versions for this and that, it's considered one of the costliest video games ever, just as a side note. So around the time that Time Zone was released, Roberta's parents moved to a place called Oakhurst, California, and Roberta had hoped that they could move close by to to be close to them. Despite Time Zone's poor sales, they were still selling games, Time Zone, and and there were some other games in between. Mystery House and and Wizard and the Princess, they were were two of a bunch of other adventure games that, that, uh, that the company had put out. So they were still selling things. So, so things were still on the up and up for online systems. And so they were able to move the company to a town close to Oakhurst called Corsecode. And when they did so, they changed the company name from Online Systems to Sierra Online. And this was in reflection of their current location, which was near the Sierra Nevada mountain range. Now, in 1983... Uh, Severa had a new set of investors. They were pumping. They had a board of directors. They were looking to go, you know, pub. They eventually went public. They're 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 starting to treat this like an actual business. And so they had this board of directors that was really pushing 
the company to diversify their their games into video game cartridges to push into that market, you know, for things such as the Atari. But for those of you that listen to our podcast or know a little bit about video game history, you would know that in 1983, the video game market crashed and this plan didn't pan out at all, unfortunately. Sierra's board and directors then began to push for a merger with an educational software company called Spinnaker Software. But at the meeting where Spinnaker came to um, Sierra to propose the merger, Roberta interrupted them and she said, these guys are a joke. No one in the industry respects them. Can we talk about something more productive? So, I mean, wow. Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) I mean, like, (laughs) what a, what a. She was awesome. She she in the in the field of video game development and everything, she is definitely like someone everyone should look up up to. Not not the least of women and little girls who want to get in the industry because you know we all hear horror stories about the way they're treated. Um, but here we have this awesome awesome woman that basically, I mean, literally she invented the graphical adventure genre. You know the first black and white game and the first color game in the genre she created so we went from text adventure to here's literally the person that invented the genre you know what i mean absolutely um she's spectacular in the end because of her strong opposition to the merger it didn't happen um things unfortunately were not very well for sierra after the video game crash they they kind of survived by making games for um the smaller, uh, smaller things. Um, I can't recall right now. I'm sorry. Um, they were forced to downsize to 30 employees and the Williams family actually had to mortgage their home to help pay the employees as they, as they dealt with this mess. So, wow. We heard that a lot. Haven't we? I feel like that's not the first time we've heard of someone having to like hedge their personal bets to keep their company afloat. Uh, it's definitely not the first, although I couldn't tell you who else it was at the moment. Right. As luck would have it, though, IBM was looking for help in showcasing the technical prowess of an upcoming PC of theirs that they called the PC Junior. Ever heard of the PC Junior before? I cannot say that I have, Dave. Yeah, there's a good reason for that. The PC Junior was really just a watered-down home computer that IBM tried to market as a low-cost IBM PC that was more geared towards video games. Um, Ultimately, it would fail quickly, too. I was only around for about two years, if I'm not mistaken, before they canceled the platform. Um, Really, as the technology changed, because in the 80s and 90s, computer technology was just Every week you had a faster processor or different type of memory or uh, things were just moving at such an alarming rate back then. Not alarming, cool rate. Let's be honest. It was very cool. Um, It was just it it was too watered down. There were other other platforms that were marketed the same way that were better from the, you know, technical and cost standpoint. And it just it couldn't hang. So anyway. PC Junior didn't do much, but what it did do was give us the topic of today's discussion, King's Quest. You see, IBM offered to invest with Sierra Online with the hopes that they could create they would create a game that would basically show off all the te- all the capabilities of the PC Junior. Um, and Roberta, to her credit, 
wanted to do more. She wanted to make her next latest and greatest thing. And what she really wanted to do was she wanted to take what she had started with the prequel, the wizard and the princess and build it out as a fully animated adventure game in a pseudo 3d world. That was the, that was the basis that she kind of had a vision of IBM to their credit uh, paid for about $850,000 of the cost it took to develop King's quest. And that still blows my mind. Uh, I, I mean, there are games that are built on nothing nowadays. And here back in, you know, 83, IBM put up $850,000 to develop a game, you know? Yeah, that is um, pretty crazy, Dave. It would take six full-time programmers, 18 months to realize Roberta's vision. And they did it. And so on May 10th, 1984, King's Quest was released to the world. Now I want to talk about why why King's Quest is is so important. That's after all that's that's why we're here, right? Uh, I think so. Could be wrong. Previous to King's Quest, graphical interactive fiction games like this one, aka the adventure games that we've been talking about, were mostly composed of fixed static images. So when they did finally have graphics, you would be shown a screen of a beach and it would say you're on a beach and on the beach, you may see a shell and you could say, pick up shell or do this or do that. And it would always just show you the picture of a beach. Does that make sense? Uh, sure. It, that picture would never change. It would, it would basically show you the context for the text inputs you have to put, but you were always just shown a picture and you had to figure out what to do within that picture. So if gotcha. you said, you okay. know, so so it was just the beach. And then the next picture might be a waterfall. You know, you go east and you come across a waterfall. So it shows you a picture of a waterfall. But it doesn't matter what you do. There were no animations, no anything, nothing. It was just a static picture. That was the entirety of the adventure genre up until this point. King's Quest was literally the first adventure game to integrate any animation into its uh, into a graphic adventure into an adventure game ever. So if you tell the main character to go pick up an item, you watch him go pick it up. If you tell him to wade through water, the character moves and you actually get to see him wade through water. Um, I, I know that in, in modern games, that's like, well, duh, that's what we do. But up until this point, that's not what we did. Up until this point, we stared at a picture and we said, okay, tell me about this tree. Pick up this item. But it never actually got picked up. We had to use our imagination to assume it got picked up, you know? Right. Um, and so here you have a game that when you when you told the character, and, and to its credit, the IBM PC Jr. had a joystick. You could also move the character with a joystick. Uh, but you still have to type the commands in on the keyboard. Um you could you could move your character and also they were able to simulate death perception so the character could walk behind an object and be shown you know and the object would be in the foreground or the or in front of the object vice versa or even the character would walk over objects so it was it was honestly i got i say this every week but it it was all, i mean it was it was special it was the first game. It was the first game in the adventure genre that any of this happened. It's the first ever 3D animated adventure. 
period. And and and, and that's it. It's also the first computer game to support uh, the 16-bit color standard that we would use for a while called EGA. It basically set a very high bar for all future graphic adventure games. It, it, like I said, she she invented a genre through and through. Gra- black and white, color, and then 3D, uh, 3D movement. She literally, Roberta Williams literally invented the genre. Um, she's pretty awesome. King's Quest, for it credit, its credit, really did showcase the PC Junior's capabilities. Um, but like I said, people didn't want to buy the PC Junior. Not then, not a year later. So in March of 1985, IBM discontinued the platform. Like I said, it was only around, I think, late 83 to uh, early 85. I don't even think it lasted two years. Because of the lacking popularity of the PC Junior, King's Quest didn't really sell initially. Uh, it didn't sell very well at all. But to their credit, the Williams knew it was special. And they quickly released versions for other platforms, such as the Tandy 1000, which was one of the computers that would compete with the um, with the PC Junior uh, standard, you know, your standard IBM PCs and the other one that we know of that competes the Apple II E. And it sold very well when they ported it over to other systems. Um it's actually, Rob, it's also been por- it was also at one point ported over to the Sega Master System, the precursor to the Genesis. So I haven't heard of that one either, Dave. The Master System? Yep. Nope. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah. King's Quest is, is special. Like I said, for those of you who don't know, King's Quest is a 3D animated adventure game. The plot is fairly simple. In it, you the game takes place in the kingdom of Daventry and it's suffering from disasters and hardship. King Edward calls his bravest knight, Sir Graham to his throne and tells him that he has heard of three legendary treasures hidden throughout the land that would end Daventry's troubles. So Rob, you were right. And if Graham succeeds, he'll be heir to the throne. He'll become King. So you kind of nailed the plot on its head, right? Yeah, I sure did, Dave. Yeah, you did. And like I said, this was pre-mouse era, so you could move with the joystick, and you you still have to type your actions into the computer to get them to do things. But the basis of it was, you know, it was, admittedly, it was 1984. Games were still not what they are nowadays, so uh, it was a pretty simple game, admittedly, in the scheme of things. You went on this fetch quest to get these three items and save the kingdom. That's... That's it. That's what King's Quest is. Not much to it. It had its basis in fairy tales. So if you knew a lot about fairy tales, then then the game was easier. If you did know in fairy tales, there were a lot of spots in the game where you would have literally no clue what to do whatsoever. You know, and this is back when we didn't have the internet or anything to look up stuff. So a lot of people would get frustrated with this game because they would hit a wall because it was designed in a way and they didn't think about things back then, but it was designed in a way that like, if you didn't have this kind of other knowledge, you weren't going to get through it. Um, you weren't going to get through it, unfortunately, but if you did get through it, you were well recorded, well, well rewarded with a pretty good story. That's King's quest. That it is Dave. 
But I think at this point, we've heard enough about the game. We should go into some reviews. What do you say? I think that's a good spot. Why don't you take it away? All right. Well, first up, we're going to start with critic reviews. So we have from Computer Games Magazine, published in November of 1984, a computer review gaming column written by Shay Adams and Dan Gutman gave King's Quest an A+. In the review, they wrote, if you're weary of walking through graphic adventures typing Go North, this revolutionary breakthrough should be at the top of your software shopping list. It's the first fully animated adventure you control via joystick or cursor keys. The movement of Sir Graham as he treks through the land of Daventry in search of a magic mirror, a chest full of gold and a magic shield. The animation's excellent. His legs and knees bend, his arms swing, and he can also jump, duck, or swim if you hit the right key or fire button. Standard adventure game commands like look at rock are entered from the keyboard. There are plenty of intriguing puzzles to solve before Sir Graham can fulfill his quest and inherit the throne from King Edward. A variety of menacing creatures, wolves, trolls, ogres, a witch, and an evil sorcerer will make pie crust out of you if you don't move fast enough. All of Daventry's inhabitants are equally well animated. The scenery is illustrated with fine detail and lush colors, and Sir Graham can walk behind or in front of some of the trees, rocks, houses, and other objects. This lends a sense of depth that borders on three-dimensional. King's Quest represents a remarkable achievement. It's like playing an animated cartoon, but requires more than the hand-eye coordination of an arcade game like Space Ace. In fact, this game does more than just point the way for graphic adventures of the future. It opens up a whole new subgenre. Nice. So, I mean, it, it that illustrates a lot of the stuff I said. You know, it really, it, it was pretty amazing to people. It was stuff that we hadn't seen before. That they hadn't seen before. I can't really take credit for like we haven't seen before because this came out the year I was born, so it's a little bit before my time too. But um, but yeah, I mean this was this was this was a technological breakthrough, you know. Now I know in like that was the that was critic review, right? Where you probably not able to find user reviews from back then. So keep in mind that as we go through user reviews. Most of them are more of a modern skewed perspective. I bring that up a lot when we talk about it, but people sometimes really struggle to talk about games, you know, without their modern lens. You know, I assume that's the case, Rob. Uh, yeah, you would be absolutely right, Dave. Uh, so with that, we're going to start off with Valor on Moby Games, who calls King's Quest the original king of computer games. He goes on to say that when I read reviews that give King's Quest a bad impression, it makes me as a grown man want to cry like a little girl with a skin knee. It also makes me mutter things like kids these days wouldn't know a good game if it jumped up and hit him in the face, even though I'm not yet 30 myself. I can only assume for own peace of mind and faith in the human race that anybody slamming King's quest is doing so by today's gaming standards and not the gaming standards of its time. Because in 1984, 
when Sierra first revolutionized the computer world by releasing this game, King's Quest was the crowned king of computer games and remains so for many years. From a technical perspective, Ken and Roberta Williams and the Sierra team broke so many levels with this game. And then again, with its next few sequels over the next decade, that it seemed to me as a kid that Sierra would rule the gaming world forever. In a time of text adventures and blocky monochrome arcades, they released a full-color, multi-dimensional game where you could actually physically move the hero around a detailed fantasy world in front of, behind, and around objects and interface with items, terrain, and other characters in an involving storyline and several challenging quests. While the storyline, gameplay, and quests of King's Quest 1 may seem pale and pointless by today's standards, imagine yourself as a child in 1984. This game wasn't made for hardcore teen and adult gamers in the 21st century. It was made for kids in the early 80s. And in that light, it was magical. With dragons to slay, magical artifacts to collect, and all manner of mystical creatures from fairies to trolls to leprechauns and everything in between, King's Quest was like an interactive movie or book where you get to be the hero. As a kid in 1984, who grew up on films like Neverending Story, Legend, and The Dark Crystal, bringing the fantasy world of wizards and warriors, dragons and princesses, magic and intrigue to the interactive media of a computer gaming, that in itself was more remarkable than the actual technological breakthroughs Sierra made with this game. There are, however, aspects of the game that can seem bland and frustrating, not just by today's standards, but even back in 1984. I feel it's important to note, though, that these for the most part were simply the effects of technological barriers that even Sierra couldn't break through at the time, not design flaws in themselves. The text parser, for example, is frustratingly limited. Things need to be worded a certain way. You might see a brown CGA lump on the ground and want it, but typing pick up rock could very well yield a you can't do that, at least not now, error. Prevalent throughout the first three King's Quest games, but a little patience and a logical mind can always overcome this limitation. Look at the ground. You'll see it's not a rock after all. It's actually a walnut. Don't try and be verbose. The parser isn't as intelligent as today's gaming AI technology. You can't tell the game, offer to help the woodcutter with his poverty issues without getting an I-don't-understand-offer error. But help man does the trick. In my personal opinion, you're not even a gamer unless you've played King's Quest. In a world where most of today's games involve fragging the crap out of your friends with a multitude of high-tech weapons over a LAN or the internet and watching the blood and brain fragments fly, I'd like to think there are others out there like me who remember when good gaming involved using your mind, not your minigun, and a good game was good because of the storyline and gameplay itself. Not just because it uses the latest ultra-fast 3D graphics technology, has heaps of powerful weapons, and needs 2GB of RAM and a $700 video card to play. 
as much as I hate to say it, but those were the days. <laughs> it sounds like me. I probably could have written that, huh? I mean, uh... in all honesty, with the way that's written, that, that seems like those were the days, too, because it's 700 for a video card now. That's cheap. Very true. Two gigs of RAM? Nah, you need way more than that. Yeah, way more than that. Uh, also, I think there's a lot of games today that have great story and good gameplay, so that's also Oh, not, absolutely, and not, not all of them fair. have bloodbaths in them. Correct. Yes, I agree. But we're going to go on to our next person from Moby Games, who is Scott Bergstrom, who calls it the daddy of all adventure games. He says it's the one that started it all. If you want to play the original Sierra adventure games, this is it. If you want to experience some nostalgia from your childhood or something you and your family can play together and have fun, this is a good game for you. A couple of weeks ago, I played this game for the first time in about 15 years, and I must say it brought back a lot of memories. Sure. It's quite dated by today's standards, but even now, it's still fun and challenging to play. That's it. That's it. Well, that was short and sweet. That it was. Next up, we have Old School Gamer on Moby Games, who felt similarly about the game. Writing, this game was very entertaining to me because, at the time, I never played anything quite like it. The way you could just wander around and explore the countryside gave you a very free-as-a-bird kind of feeling when playing. There really was no strict linear path you must follow, except for the king's items you must retrieve. But as far as wandering, you can basically go anywhere. I loved this game, even though it was rather short and simple. It is a classic and the predecessor for many games to follow. With that being said, not everyone is still in love with the King's Quest, or lets that overbearing sense of nostalgia cloud their judgment. And with that, Dave... We're going to move on to our last user review. So here we have late on Moby games who calls King's quest an oldie, but not a goldie. Okay. He writes that this title screen is quite nice with what the beeper song and all. And I guess this game was the first to use Sierra's move the little Lego man around and try to guess what to type in her face, which I quite like. I suppose if I had played this when it first came out, I would have been really impressed with it. The graphics, the gameplay, and indeed, the whole concept of an animated 3D adventure game. Now, all I can say is that the yellow geek with the funny hat is pretty smoothly animated. However, I didn't like the fact that it's an arcade game with a bad parser and puzzles. I do appreciate the fact that back in those days, you really couldn't fit a lot of storyline and a complex parser and 16 color graphics and animation in an IBM PC. But what I don't appreciate is the really pathetic overall plot and mood and the puzzles that are not only simple, but off often frustrating instead of puzzling the idea adventure. The idea of adventure games should not be to try everything until you find a solution that doesn't kill you or stop you from advancing. I refer to you to the gnome's name puzzle, which was made easier in later in later versions. King's Quest is not a very good game, and it certainly isn't a good adventure game. It isn't loads of fun to play, nor particularly rewarding. However, it is a classic and a groundbreaker, 
and since it's relatively cheap these days, you might as well try it out. It's not half as bad as a lot of other games, and not playing it just because it's not very good is like not reading War and Peace just because it's dead boring. Figure that one out for yourself. Guess he didn't like it, huh? Uh, no, Dave, I, I don't think so. But again, you know, you to the points, maybe when it first came out, it would have been a different story. It's it's the fact of not having played it at the time and comparing it to the standards of whatever time the review was written, even if it was tomorrow, you know? Very true. Very, very It'll true. It will always have advancements in the gaming industry, and even if something was revolutionary at the time, well, by now we've seen it replicated how many times, you know? Yes, indeedy. So let's go back and 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 kind of talk about what this game became, what the people became. So Roberta Williams would continue her role as lead designer for the whole King's Quest series, which continued to push the bar on graphic adventure games. The stories got better. The graphics got better. And they adopted technology quickly, like mouse inputs and sound card inputts. I do want to take a note because those, a lot of those reviews kept referring to parser, and I want to touch base on what a parser is. So a, par- a text parser is basically how the program is written to interpret what you're trying to ask it. So back then they had really simple text parsers, like he said, like, help man, look door at door, go east, go west. Uh, you know, now we have artificial intelligence, which is scary to say that you could literally type in our, the sentences that we're speaking right now. And it would understand because everything has just gotten so much more technologically advanced. Um, but that's it. Text parser is just how the computer interprets is what you type and, and what to do with it. So now Roberta Williams would continue working on the King's Quest series through 98. There are eight King's Quests in the original series. Uh, 1999 or late 98, early 99 had um, King's Quest 8, which is called The Mask of Eternity. A few years prior, Sierra Entertainment is what it was at the time. Sierra Online would be sold to another company for, dude, it was like an insane amount of money. The stock options were like a billion dollars in like 96, 97 dollars. You ever heard of Forbes magazine? Uh, maybe once or twice, yeah. Yeah, so so it was sold to the company, like Walter Forbes Company and everything. And I'd like to do a whole episode on it one day, but to make a long story short, the company that bought Sierra was fraudulently reporting to its investors to inflate its stock, and it, it became a, a whole big mess that kind of led to everything shutting down. Not that Sierra completely shut down, but it was a big, disgusting mess. But there's a whole lot more interesting stuff to the story. Um, Before that, though, this new management really insisted on copying elements from other popular games at the time, like Diablo, which we've covered in a previous episode. And they wanted to shift away from the traditional adventure genre. Now, as this was all happening, both Williams were not happy because as part of this agreement, Ken was on the board of the new company. He left in 97 and Roberta left in 1999 after they released King's Quest VIII. Um, as part of their agreement, when this company took over Sierra, it was a company called CUC, and um, as part of their agreement, they were forced to sign, I don't know if forced is the right word, um, 
they signed non-compete clauses whereby if they ever left the company, they would not be allowed to work in the games industry for five years. So, in all honesty, they just kind of moved on. They couldn't work in games. They moved on, as Roberta puts it, into other ventures. They found they they fell out of the public eye, and that was that until recently, to be honest with you, which is another reason why this is relevant. Um, in 2021, Roberta released a historical fiction novel that she had been talking about forever and working on called Farewell to Terra. And in June of 2021, the Williams announced that they were returning to game development after, God, what, 20 some years? We've been waiting for a while to found, find out what that meant. And last month, we actually got the answer. They are remaking Colossal Cave Adventure into Colossal Cave Adventure 3D. If you'll recall at the top of this episode, Colossal Cave Adventure was the first game that Roberta ever played. It is the inspiration for her entire career. And now she wants to give it a modern touch. So there we go. Right on. As for King's Quest, uh, after it passed hands for a while, Sierra, if I'm not mistaken, is now under the Activision label. They gave it to a studio called The Odd Gentleman, and in 2015, they tried to bring, they tried to reimagine the King's Quest series as an, uh, they did it as an episodical thing. I think back in 2015, that was way more of a thing. Everyone was trying to do their old episode type games. Do you remember that? That little phase for a while we had that? About five years where everyone wanted to release games and episodes. You know, at the moment, I no? can't say no. no. Man. Um, I, I mean, it did okay critic-wise. I mean, it typically the episodes all got about 80 out of 100. I don't know how well it stuck. I never played the modern ones. I don't know anyone that played the modern ones. Frankly, I don't think that the adventure genre and and that like the point and click adventure genre is a very big genre anymore. Or maybe it's just that my tastes have changed and um and and I've moved on to other things. But I don't really know anyone else that that dabbles much in that anymore. Um, I don't know. I think it maybe have, has more given way for me personally to the modern puzzle genre with games like. The Witness and the Talos Principle, and I played Sublim- Subliminal re- recently. Um, I think those games are more more the modern version of this. Personally, that's just my take on it. Um, yeah, I will say though, Rob, real quick, that Sierra. Let's talk about Sierra for a real quick because you said that you kind of remember Sierra. Uh, perhaps not, but. So Sierra sounded familiar. Sierra at one time was one of the biggest uh, software labels ever. Uh, They were 12th in like the 90s, I think, like out of all the companies out there, which was pretty big. Uh, I mean, their their catalog is huge. You don't know Jack got its start as a Sierra online game. Oh, okay. Uh, um, Legion Suit Larry is a Sierra is a Sierra online game. That no, whole it makes more sense why I know them now. Yeah, that whole that whole and I mean like their names on every uh, it's not an exaggeration. You know, they have King's Quest, they have Police Quest, they have Space Quest, 3D Ultra Pinball, the Caesar series is um 
is a Sierra Online. Um, NASCAR Racing's first games, uh, the early nineties, like 95, 96 ones were made by Papyrus, but published by Sierra Online. What else? I mean, they were literally on, on everything, everything. Half-Life, the very first Half-Life game, it was made by, developed by Valve. It was published by Sierra Online. Oh. Uh, so, um, yep, you don't know Jack, Homeworld, Caesar Series, NASCAR Legends, Homeworld Cataclysm. They just did everything. Their hands were Empire Earth. We played a lot of that game. Empire Earth series was published by Sierra Online. The hell is we? You never played Empire Earth with me? I swear you played Empire Earth with me. Don't think so. All right. Well, I don't know. Lord of the Rings, War of the Ring. You like that one? I don't remember War of the Ring. Okay. Well, I'm wrong about that one then. Counter Strike, Condition Zero. So the early Counter Strike. Half Life 2 was published at the time, it was just called Sierra. Um. Yep. There you go. So they're they're a big, a big, 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 big company. The Fair series. They just they had their hand in everything. Eventually, they did uh, other games. So the Spyro series would be published by them at one point. Geometry Wars. What else? All the King's Quest stuff. They just they had their hands in everything. Is the point? That's why you know of them. You would totally know and, and and be able to recognize the Sierra sound and um, and logo if you ever saw it. But anyway, that's it. Roberta Williams disappeared for 20 years, but she's back now. Uh, the queen of adventure games is working on a remake of the, basically the earliest text game. One of the earliest text games, Colossal Cave Adventure. And Sierra is still doing stuff under the Activision label. And... Um, yeah, we we have the earliest. Uh, I don't know. That's it. That's the person on the game that invented the graphical adventure genre. Period. I hope I hope that there's anything that's what you take away. Roberta Williams is a rock star. She deserves much more credit than she gets. Now, the only reason why she doesn't get it is because the graphical adventure genre is, you know, not it's not a mainstream genre. It was much bigger back then, but nowadays it's not. She's a rock star. So. All right. Well, we've talked about other rock stars before. Last week, we talked about id Software with uh, Carmack and Romero. You know, we, we've done episodes on Will Wright. We've done episodes on pretty much every who's who in Nintendo 2. If you want to check out any of those episodes and learn about those rock stars, you can do so by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Also at memorycardlane.com, you can find a calendar with links to our upcoming episodes. Right now I have uh, the next bunch through June. You can find our biographies if you want to see these ugly mugs that were definitely made for radio or podcast, whatever you want to call this nowadays. You can find a link to our Discord where we frequently hang out and play video games and stream games uh, to our friends and, and have some fun with things. And... Yeah, I think that's that's about everything. You can also find links to our social media. I can be found in various places at da- as David is wrong. And Rob, what's your handle nowadays? 
Uh, can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. 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 Well, on that note, every week we try to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Uh, part of our commitment in teaching you is, is admittedly, while we teach you, we learn things ourselves. Uh, so part of the commitment is that we like to admit that and talk about our biggest takeaway. Uh, so, Rob, what did you learn this week? Uh, I learned Roberta Williams is a badass. Very true. Uh, I learned that Sierra is involved in a lot of stuff that I had no idea and it just never really occurred to me. A lot of stuff. Uh, also, the, the, I guess the Versa writer is kind of a cool little thing that I didn't really know was a thing either. Yeah. Maybe it was, it's kind of like an early printer in a sense. Yeah. Or scanner, rather. Scanner, yeah. It's a, it's a, it was an early graphics tablet, basically. That they kind of had to... The biggest... You know, one of the cool things is on the early games, they couldn't... So, so Roberta drew all these pictures, and they had... It was like 70 pictures. Mystery House is like 70 pictures, basically. And they basically couldn't fit them all on a five and a quarter inch floppy disks. And so... What Ken did is he wrote a program that they didn't actually store the photos. They stored the coordinates, the position coordinates for how the computer would draw the photos. And the computer drew these images as it went along. Now, that's how a lot of modern, like early modern graphics engines work nowadays. Uh, but essentially, he created an early graphics engine. You know, it, it, and it's so weird for us to think about nowadays because com computers have so much space and are so complex that we literally store the images. We don't have to tell the computer in the traditional sense how to how to draw it. But that's literally what his his program did and how the game was written was he like I said, he stored the positional coordinates, draw a line from X to Y2 to X3, Y3. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Um, and that's you think about it like that. I, it, it is. It is. And like I said, you know, like, that's the kind of stuff that we learn when you when you learn. Um, if you ever get into programming, you get into like just flat out C programming. They'll teach you some of that because that's, you know, you can make your own game engines and you start by, you know, telling the computer to do this, but making it a different command type deal. But uh, these people were making it up as they went along. That's the coolest thing. They were making all this up as they went along because there was no one to teach them how to do it. It's the same thing we talked about last week with the, the uh, Wolfenstein episode. Those guys were making up the technology as they went along. Like the amount of innovation, and we have it now just differently, but the amount of innovation that was going on in, this, in this er all this early video game stuff always leaves me in awe. It just it just does. I'm always in all of it. What? Oh, that was that was that was I guess that's so that was your takeaway was that you learned that Roberta Williams is a badass um, and, and about, about the Versa writer and, and Versa apparently writer. how that all works, which that's pretty crazy to think about, too. Now, I actually just learned something more that that's just adding to my knowledge of the thing that blew my mind already. So what about yourself, Dave? I really never dabbled i mean i know i know who Roberta williams is because i i enjoy she made a game at one point called phantasmagoria which was this really awesome adventure game very 
adult mature themes came out when I was a 99, if I'm not mistaken. I know her from that, but I never really, I, I personally, I never got into the King's quest series. I, I, I actually, here's a side note. There's a King's quest collection on steam that if you want to go and play this, with that being said, there's a better way to play these games. So there is a company called originally it was Tierra entertainment. And now they're called AGD anonymous game developer. They have been allowed to make fan remakes of the early King's quest games with, with uh, the Williams and Sierra's blessing. And now the remakes that they made are the definitive versions of these games. So if you are interested in going to play King's quest, do, I would not recommend for once going online and, and, and getting it from somewhere like Steam or you can get... It's also on goodoldgames.com as trilogies. You can buy it as 1, 2, and 3, and then 4, 5, and 6, and then 7, 8. I would suggest looking up King's Quest Remake by AGD, which stands for Anonymous Game Developers. When someone did throw a hissy fit, that's what they named themselves. Because they are officially the, like the, the definitive versions. And you can go online and download them for free. Um, they're available for free nowadays, which is how I caught myself back up on this game. Modern graphic upgrades, um, parser upgrades, all the dead ends in the game, because these early games, they had, they literally unfortunately had dead ends where you would get to a part and not be able to progress through the game. They fixed all those type of things. It's just, it's like I said, go download it. It's a definitive version and it's not a big investment. King's Quest one is only about a 90 minute game. So in the scheme of things, that's not much anymore. You know what I mean? Right. No, absolutely. So um, did I even talk about my big takeaway? Roberta Williams. Oh, yeah, that was my takeaway. Roberta Williams. And and I know I get on these tangents. I just have so much information to offer. Jeez Louise. Um, Roberta Williams is awesome. And I learned more about her and how she invented the genre, which I really didn't know much about before. So. All right, Rob. Well, I think that'll about sum it up for King's Quest today. Uh, I don't have anything to add about the game. Do you? Well, Dave, I I don't really know anything about it. So no, I don't have anything to add about the game at all. All right. Well, before I take it out of here for the week, do you have anything you'd like to add to the discussion? Um, hmm. Yeah, I guess I'll take a moment to say thank you to all of our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. Even if Dave doesn't tell you. No, we appreciate you. Don't listen to him. I appreciate you. I have all this. I mean, I don't always have all this inherent knowledge, but I do this research and have all this random knowledge. And it's nice to be able to share it with people. I appreciate the outlet. Thank you for listening. Good Lord. All right. Well, I'm going to take it out of here. Uh, Rob, our topic for next week is in the news as of today, actually. Oh, yeah, it, it it's a game that's 11 years old and it surpassed. How do I say this? It's now ninth on the list of all time game sales, total game sales. It's a game that just sold over 44 million copies, um, which puts it ninth on the all time best selling list of video games ever. And here's the thing. I feel like it's a game that both everybody knows, which 44 million copies speaks to that, but nobody knows at the same time. Does that make sense? Sure, Dave. Do you know a lot of people who are in? I mean, you know what our topic is next week. 
which I'll give it in just a second, but do you know, like, do you feel like all of your friends play it or have played it? I don't know that they've played it, but I know that they've heard of it. Yeah. Yep. But that also could just be because you and I have played it together and talked about it. So very true. I mean, it also it's ninth in all time sales. It's ninth on Steam's list of most con- concurrent players playing at one time. So it for all purposes, it's one of the bigger video games of all time. I I I don't think it has that notoriety though. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. See, that's I guess that's what feels weird about it. Um all right, so next week, guys, we're going to be talking about Terraria. I know we kind of alluded to it in the last episode. Terraria is an action-adventure sandbox game that was originally released on May 16th, 2011. Uh, 11 years later, it's still getting content updates, so there's lots to talk about. It's also one of my personal most-played games. Uh, I have personally logged, I just checked, 317 hours. I, I'm, I'm sorry that I just admitted that. 317 hours in the game. Uh, So next week, we're going to get to talk about a game that I know quite a bit about. I'm kind of excited, to be honest with you. If you'd like, and you'd like to come join us on our Discord server, we actually posted a server. We're hosting a Terraria server because I wanted a chance to play back through the game with some of the newer content I haven't had a chance to. So come back to our Discord. You can find the link uh, with all the information to join our actual Terraria server. Um, yeah. So join us again next week. Uh, we're going to talk all about Terraria. Um, initially pegged as a 2D Minecraft game, but obviously took on a life of its own. Uh, yeah. So join us again next week as we take a procedurally generated trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Da, ba, ba, da, ba.